why would you come to this every year? I'd have to have a double whiskey before walking through that door. I think they all have grace. I think that's the point. Yeah. And then I was like, of course, it's set in Chicago and they are bears. Chicago bears. Why has this not occurred to me before? I just kept thinking, God, just don't poke the bear. Don't poke it. It did make me think of you when, when he said, is it a grace we've heard a million times before? Do you often get asked to say grace, grace? We didn't know we needed a, the best Christmas special until we did. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Bear, Series 2, Episode 6, Fishes. My name's Adam Hemming, and with me is our very own basket of biscuits, Grace Chapman. Just quick question, can I borrow your fork? And our legitimate fucking wizard, Izzy Dixon. Was that a business slap? <laughs> so, listeners, we were going to be talking about episode seven, but we've decided that because episode six was such a mammoth episode full of so much stuff that we're going to focus this special on that, and not because Grace hasn't quite finished episode seven. <laughs> No, not at all about my bad time management. Not at all. In fairness, you have just done Barbenheimer, which I did I last weekend, and we can thoroughly recommend to all listeners. But, you know, the bear after those two films, I think, is just it's too much. Way too much. I mean, I just left Barbie, having seen Oppenheimer and Barbie after each other, and I left just not being sure whether the world was either A, going to be there, or B, going to be pink. It could have been either of those. Yeah, I'm, quite, my, I'm saying to Adam just before we came on that my brain has been massively overstimulated, so I'm going to do my absolute best to string sentences together. <laughs> I imagine that's what working in a kitchen is like, to be fair. <laughs> Grand. Well, let's get into this then. So, I mean, what an episode, right? I think we've said on the WhatsApp this might possibly be one of the best single episodes of all time. Do you think you could watch episode six of season two of the bear having not seen any of the bear at all and still enjoy it um do you know I was thinking this and I think in some ways you could because obviously it, it happens way before anything in the bear but I think in some ways the joy of this episode for me was picking up on little clues of things that there's so much foreshadowing and so much amazing kind of showing things in a really beautiful and poignant way that we know become really really important later on and I love that and I think there is a sort of joy to that level of it that you'd maybe lose. Yeah, and I think probably being invested in the characters just made this episode even more powerful. Some moments were absolutely devastating because, you know, either it, you know, you know what happens. I mean, my last notes are just like, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> I think this could be one of my favourite episodes of TV of all time. And that's following Connor's wedding from Succession which obviously like, you know, again, we talked about as just being one of the most incredible bits of TV and all of us are blown away by it. And that was what, like two, three months ago. But I just, yeah, I just almost couldn't speak at the end of watching this. I was so blown away by it. I've never seen anything like it. So I'm really glad in some ways we're just discussing this as its own thing, because I do think it's such a standout. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I will just say one one quick thing about episode seven. It contains one of the most exhilarating scenes I've ever seen in TV um I'll say nothing else about it but I do agree I think I know the scene you mean and I yeah loved it and episode seven I loved it's probably my second favorite of this season after this one so Grace you have got a treat coming I think the tone of it shifts quite abruptly from this one as well 
And this does really feel like its own isolated thing. And that's quite a bold move, isn't it, for, for a TV show that's really like you're really following a very time pressured journey in these weeks up to opening. And then it kind of completely diverts and throws you through a loop just for an episode and then dunks you back in. Massive bold move. Hugely pays off. And I I don't think I've seen an episode of telly that is such a masterclass in suspense than this one in a long time. My goodness me, the last 25 minutes, I don't think I breathed. <laughs> I was so nervous and a- apprehensive about a million different things. Just phenomenal. And I, th- I think what was particularly amazing for me is how it showed that food and chaos and love are completely mixed up in this family. Definitely. I mean, you mentioned that time pressure, Izzy, and we've had that countdown, haven't we? Every episode is like so many weeks until the open. Yeah. And this time around is a really lovely twist, as they said, 256 weeks until the open. So we we are we knew we were in a fa- flashback because before that came up, we saw John Bernthal as as Mikey. But yeah, this gave us the sort of timeline that we're looking at about five years in the past. Yeah, which is it's a really nice amount of time to flashback. And yeah, I loved loved that as an opening. I think obviously the biggest thing with this episode that we should probably get out of the way before we talk about anything else is that the ensemble cast of this is just like a who's who of brilliant TV actors. You know, anyone you can imagine putting in the mix they put in the mix there's Bob Odenkirk there's Jamie Lee Curtis there's John Mulaney like Sarah Paulson it's incredible it's such a star cast lineup and yet at the same time it never feels like they're kind of gratuitously putting in like celebrity cameos just to sort of bolster ratings it's so well cast and I've said this of the whole series as well I think with um Will Poulter and there's another great cameo of someone really well known in episode seven grace but it doesn't feel like they're just kind of shoved in famous actors you're like oh my god it's that person it feels like brilliantly cast yeah and they don't overshadow the other actors that we got at all they just they slot in so perfectly and we know a lot of this family but to see how the extended family are just feeds into all of this like in-depth kind of understanding of this family Every single time, every single time a new brilliant actor arrived, I just write their name in capital letters, followed by the word Claxon. I just wrote, <laughs> Bob Odenkirk, Claxon! <laughs> I have also got Bob Odenkirk in, in all caps, but I knew that I had heard sort of rumours that Bob Odenkirk and Will Porter were going to be in the show. I had no idea about the others. I did not know. It was such a surprise seeing Jamie Lee Curtis there as mum Donna. The other one, of course, was Gillian Jacobs. Did we meet Tiff in season one? I don't think we have. I think she's been on the phone. And I think that has been Gillian Jacobs' voice, but I could be completely wrong. So listeners, if I am and you know I am, please feel free to shout at us in the comments. I feel like she has been sort of attached to it on on the phone, but I don't think we've seen her. I watched one recently and I honestly can't remember. We definitely haven't seen her for sure. So that was, again, yeah, a really... And like, just the fact that Gillian Jacobs just came out of the bathroom, I was like, oh, she's also here. This is amazing. <laughs> And of course, we all know Gillian Jacobs as the voice of Atom Eve in the Invincible animated TV show. Yes, we all know that. Yep, definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, just where do we start, right? This, the episode opens with Natalie outside smoking as someone is shouting inside. 
And the kind of backdrop to this whole episode is the noise coming from the kitchen. Like it's pretty much constantly throughout the whole thing. Mikey is her, her older brother comes out and sort of criticizes her for asking, are you okay? Uh, so we're, this is fed in from the beginning of the episode. And he says not handling it is the best way to handle it, which is a typical Bozzato male perspective, I think. Yeah. And Kami comes out at this point. Is that right? But I really love the fact that from the start, there are the siblings who are kind of at home and used to this. And there is Kami who's kind of found a, found a path out. I think that's it set that up really, really beautifully that he is slightly different. Mm. And there was, I think, I think it's Mikey who says this to him and various people say it to him that they go, I'm ha- we're happy you're home. I'm happy you're home. You know, that is something that is like sort of drilled slightly nastily into him throughout this whole episode. And yeah, I think that kind of plays into the, like you say, the returning sun. Um, but I loved how you only knew it was Christmas because of the wreath on the door. That was the only sign at that point. And I just thought that was really lovely, like visual clues. Yeah. And then we go through the door and meet Bob Odenkirk and it's clearly Christmas with the bears. <laughs> it's like brilliant stuff. But yeah, there's a really passive aggressive tone to some of that. I'm so glad you're home. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just to come back quickly on the noise from the kitchen and kind of percolates to everything, that, that kind of absolute like metaphorical and literal pressure cooker going on in the other room and the timer tomato sauce timer was so brilliantly done and you could hear it going off when you were in another room so it was just constantly like drilling through the air like timer 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 and every time it went off I was like oh my god is that the peppers is it the lobster what needs to come out it's the sheer and you, the kind of constant zoom in on the timer and it ticking. And there just being timers everywhere and them going off at random intervals. That was very series one, I thought. That just constant. And there are all these like, you know, time things happening. And like, are you on top of it? Are you not on top of it? People are arguing in the kitchen. Everyone's ignoring the timer. The timer's going on. Like that kind of just constant, like bubbling of tension is something we've not really seen as much of in series two, but it was such a kind of stalwart thing of series one. I wrote down timer equals anxiety. God, yeah. Yeah, so much. And I just to go talk about, you know, that saying that passive aggressive thing to Kami. I think it's that. And then they, they also say like, you know, he's only back once a year and all of that kind of energy. So it's like passive aggressive, but also a sort of we are not worthy. Oh, thanks for blessing us with your presence, Kami. So it's just really mixed up and complicated and stressful for him. It also feels like he's been the run to the family, though, right? There's a point where they're, they're they're talking about Claire Bear. They're saying, oh, we saw Claire Bear and they're trying to set him up. And, the, you know, they're, all of them are kind of in at him about it all. And it's bullying, really. They're kind of picking on him and, and all of that sort of stuff. And um, he is, you know, the, the big white hope, isn't he? He is the guy who has got all the talent and that they think can do something. So it's a weird thing of of poking at him, but also of protecting him. Yeah, his presence almost reminds them of what they haven't achieved. And so they kind of want to bring him down. I think they say, like, in that same conversation about Claire, they say, take a break from being a mopey little fuck. You're like, well, it kind of fair. Like, and just. I think that's always been the thing, though, right? Is that Kami's never quite felt like he belongs in the family. And there's this dual thing of them wanting to protect him because he's always really wanted to work with Mikey and Mikey's 
never let him near the sandwich shop. This kind of dual thing of wanting to protect him and really believing that he's the one who can do better, but also kind of resenting him for it. And that was sown so beautifully through this, that 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 kind of duality and, you know, different members of the family feeling those two things simultaneously, but at different levels, I thought was great. Um, the other thing that I really loved, I think they set up brilliantly from the start of the episode, is that this gathering is massive and the the, the family is not just the family. It's sort of this family plus extended people who've sort of been enveloped in. So, you know, Richie is, I think Richie's like a distant cousin. He's not even like a kind of immediate cousin. I think that's explored in season one, but he's Mikey's best friend, but he's part of the family. I, I don't think he's blood related at all. I think, I think he... he might be right. Yeah. He's he's a friend, but he's he's very much in. And as a result, Tiff is in. And then you've got all these various uncles and, you know, cousins from out of town. And it's just like, how are all these people related to each other? And let's not ever forget the facts and the matching outfits. <laughs> Great line where I think it was Uncle Jimmy said, how many fucking facts are there? <laughs> Endless facts. Let's talk about the facts a bit because it leads into a point I wanted to make. But they are pitching baseball cards to first, first of all, to Cicero, Uncle Jimmy, and then to Stephen, the uh, Michelle's Michelle's the cousin, right? And Stephen's yeah, Stephen's her partner. And they just need five hundred dollars basically to buy a box of baseball cards that they can then sell on eBay and turn it into fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> it made me sort of think about memorabilia and about nostalgia and about how so much of this show is wrapped up in that there's definite again in episode seven there's a definite nod to sort of nostalgia and and memories and we also get it with with Cicero later on when he's chatting to Tiff at the table about the smells that he remembers and all of that sort of stuff the whole show has been about this nostalgia for Mikey all of these sort of memories that they have of him feeds into it and I thought the baseball cards was a really nice link to all of that yeah yeah I mean them being like you can triple your money and they're like how long a couple of months (laughs) (laughs) I just love the different reactions of people they pitch this to so pitching it to Uncle Jimmy who slaps them and then doing that is that a business slap do we think he's into it hilarious but also loved them pitching it to Stephen who I thought was a brilliant character who was like, I'm going to give you $500 because I want to know how this is going to turn out. But it's really important you call me when you get the package and tell me what's in it or what's not in it. (laughs) That whole little bit was so great. Yeah, Stephen, I love the fact that there were loads of, you know, there's lots of whispers in the kitchen about whether or not he was gay, despite the fact he's Michelle's long-term partner. (laughs) has come to this every year. Oh, I, I don't. You, why would you come to this every year? <laughs> I mean, you'd have to. I'd have to have a double whiskey before walking through that door. I think they all have grace. I think that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah, and also, I I think what I picked up on the tax thing as well is that wasn't uh, Bob Lee is Bob Odenkirk's character. He is yeah. actually quite passionate about baseball cards, and uh, they don't pitch to him. <laughs> Well, we heard about Uncle Lee, didn't we, in that earlier episode when they were talking about the three initials. They talk about when they're having a conversation with Cicero and they're asking what the... There's three initials of the the company that he works for anyway. It was Bazzato. It was him. So it was their their dad, I think. It was him and Uncle Lee. They were the three sort of original business partners. So I think he was mentioned in that earlier episode. We maybe got an impression that maybe he had had a thing with Donna or there was a kind of will they, won't they with Donna, um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character. 
like there was definitely some tension there or he was clearly very keen on her and I think that had really riled up Mikey and Kami and Nat well that was the impression yeah. they don't like him because there is that kind of he's a bit of a father replacement figure definitely I feel like it's a current thing I, I felt like it was hard to tell you're right I kind of assumed that they were together but actually it was very much him pushing was like his you know sort of helping Auntie D but yeah I mean obviously Mikey says that thing I, I didn't write it down entirely about uh, I'm sitting at my father's table in my father's house or something that was kind of the start of the fork horribleness <laughs> oh let's save the forks till the end oh. yeah there's a conversation where Lee comes in he's buying a building in Wilmette and he's trying to get Donna on board I think he wants her investment in this scheme that he's got that was what I read from it anyway and Mikey comes in and, and says are we really doing this again and says that Lee's a mess and he's kind of we get that sense of that antagonism between the two of them in that earlier scene of him coming into the kitchen the relationship with Donna isn't like super clear but there's definitely some business stuff and some romantic stuff it feels like yeah and really the, 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 that's when sort of the power shift between Mikey and Lee like Mikey was very much powerful in that scene you know Lee was on the floor trying to pick up what looked like mushed cauliflower off the floor and <laughs> Mikey's at the fridge you know opening a beer classic masculinity and then the way that it just flipped and flipped and flipped this power struggle the whole way through to the obviously the point of no return was just brilliant yeah so many dynamics that were communicated so quickly and brilliantly in this episode I feel like the writers must have sat down and sketched out all of these characters because there were loads of them so to juggle that many characters over an episode and to make them all feel quite well-rounded and for a good like two-thirds of them to be people we hadn't met yet and to still get those dynamics and make them really clear with kind of no backstory. I mean, that's a feat in itself, but I feel like there were backstories that they'd maybe mapped out. And there's some things that we know either through like things that have happened kind of chronologically since then, but also little things that are hinted at that I'd love to see more of. Like I'd love to kind of understand more about the Lee-Mikey dynamics. It feels like, you know, it felt like there was real like bitterness and rage there. And we totally got that from this episode and it was really powerful, but... I feel like you could totally go off and explore that again and it would, you know, be really interesting. Do we know much about Kami and Mikey's dad? Do we know anything? I don't think we do. I feel like maybe something comes up in, um, maybe they sort of talk a little bit about it in season one. Because Uncle Jimmy is not their uncle. He was their dad's business partner, right? So that's how we know his family. But yeah, don't... I don't know if we ever find out what, or we have found out yet what happened to him. Yeah, I don't have any any memories of that. Certainly not in in this season. But let's can we let's talk about Donna a bit because she's such a big figure in this episode. There was a, a montage, like Christmas montage, but it ended up focusing on a rolling pin, and I did with wonder whether that rolling pin had been used as as an offensive weapon at any point. But yeah, it's absolutely chaos in Donna's kitchen. She's making seven fishes. So there's a whole running thing about why they make seven fishes as an Italian family. And everyone has their different perspectives on it. But it's a tradition for them. Again, back to that nostalgia thing. Seven fishes is something that they've done every Christmas. But I loved her timeline. And, you know, everything's down to the last minute and she's juggling oven shelves. You've got to have a timeline when you're doing Christmas dinner. Yeah. yeah. But I think she kind of does have her own internal mental timeline. Like it really sets up cleverly 
and you know really hits home at the end that this happens every year like all of it not just the feast not just the having everyone round, but all the kind of ensuing chaos and even the kind of the bad things that happen towards the end they are an expected part of Christmas dinner I love the fact that I, you were like okay so this is why her sons are chefs you know that is completely in their blood this like juggling loads of dishes and you know she clearly is a great cook and you know knows her like tastes and her sort of you know, all that kind of stuff but it's just like it's it's such a good example of how things are handed down you know like traditions but also from mother to son yeah her nails were stressing me out quite a lot just oh god just her hands covered in food and then grabbing a wine and and then the timer going off and it just all just I the shots were amazing and how each of them sort of approached trying to help differently so kind of would just come in and get stuck in sugar would come in and pull the wine down the the sink you know everyone's just trying to do their bit to try and keep this train on the tracks but you're right the food looked brilliant I mean she really delivered I mean there was fucking lobster in there man like (laughs) she you know she clearly knew what she was doing but it was chaos I have total sympathy. I mean, it was very similar to my experiences of making Christmas dinner. You know, people people coming in and either offering to help but not really doing the right thing or just chatting to me. Or And the only way to get through it is with a bottle of wine, to be honest. Um, 100%. And then, you know, feeling, feeling like nobody really appreciated it afterwards. And also, you don't want to eat it. It's like, sit down, you're like, I, I could think of nothing worse than eating this Christmas dinner. <laughs> She is hectic in there, and she's but she's she's quite vivacious with it in, in a way. She's still yeah. entertaining people, and it's it's high high energy. It's manic almost. Yeah, well, it is manic, totally manic. The other angle of it is, in addition to those scenes you get with her in there, and all of the sort of background noise, is the comments that people are making in conversations, and they're just slipping these little lines in, like, "Do you think Donna's going to do something crazy?" And you know, I feel like it's getting darker. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Like I've got a dark feeling. I was like, you and me both, pal. I also just love it. Like when John Maloney's character was like, I'm going to go in there. Like, do not go in there. Do not go in there. He's like, I'm just going to go and see if she needs any help. Like, do not do that. And he goes in, asks if she needs any help. And it, it just causes the whole pinwheel to spin off again. Just amazing. Jamie Lee Curtis, take a bow phenomenal I think I think the amazing thing about that performance is it's just constantly in motion she's like a ball in a pinball machine right she just never stops and the way they kind of use the cinematography to exacerbate that we're always kind of zoomed in on her or zooming out and yeah she is just completely she's here she's there she's turning around she's talking to this person she's talking to this person she's in one conversation she gets distracted like it's just movement 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 non-stop and it's so manic and that means when you get those beautiful scenes that are slightly more quiet. So in particular, the kind of Richie Tiff scene, it's almost like kind of taking in a massive breath as a viewer. Everything just kind of stops and slows down. And you get this like moment where you can really, really enjoy that little bit of peace and quiet. And then you're straight back in it again. The, The kind of pacing and direction is just like, I've never seen anything like that in the way that it's so controlled, but you're just so in the action all the time and it never lets up. And then when it does, there's a real kind of psychological impact of that on you as the viewer. Yeah, and the psychological impact of then returning, as you say, you know, I think at the end of that beautiful Richie and Tiff scene, which we'll talk about, when he goes, right, I better go back down. 
or do we have to? But just to say about the pinball machine idea, like physically, that's 100%. And also emotionally, like Jamie Lee Curtis was laughing. She was the life and soul. And the next second she was sobbing. And it just absolutely was a pendulum. And I, I don't know how she did it. It was amazing to watch. I mean, I absolutely think that the award for guest star in a, in a TV series that the Emmys does was designed for performances just like this. I mean, it was, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. I wanted to talk a little bit about her relationship with Nat. Again, we had that right at the beginning of the episode, Mikey telling her not to say this to her. We learn through Donna why sugar, why Nat is called sugar, because she once put sugar rather than salt in the gravy and it, it tasted like punch. But there is that moment when she asks her or tells her to go and get dad's gun so she can blow her brains out. God, this was heartbreaking, wasn't it? Because it it was o- only Nat saw it. Like it was just, she was staring at her daughter and she said, I'm going to blow my brains out. No one will miss me. Like shouting at her daughter. Yeah. And you just saw Nat's face. Absolutely, complete. I can't believe my mother is saying this to me. You know, and then just the, the impact of that on Nat through the rest of the episode wanting that hug and just needing to be kind of comforted for a a heartbeat before she went back into the chaos and you know her sitting at the end of the table kind of just waiting for her mum to show up it was just like it was beautiful performance but yeah I think that relationship was particularly devastating this episode because it felt like she reserved that line for Nat right it's not the sort of thing she would have said to anyone else maybe no she wouldn't have said it to her sons and you really, you really do get a kind of instinct of how, in some ways, Nat's not had it the hardest because they've all had these sort of very different struggles as siblings. But there's this sort of particular toxicity, I guess, in this mother-daughter relationship that it isn't there with Mikey and Kami. Kami's gotten out. Kami's the sort of promised child. Mikey's the sort of problematic one. And Nat is the one who's trying to hold it all together and just sort of failing. You know, Mikey then does kill himself after she's heard this from her mum so often like how traumatizing must that be it really feels like there's n- n- really not a lot of love there you know between that mother and daughter despite Nat trying and I, I talked at the start about you know master class of suspense but that 20 minutes when Jamie Lee Curtis was not on the screen the apprehension of a gunshot just was too much for me <laughs> yeah I think it's worth saying and you know we could put trigger warnings at the start of the episode accordingly is that we do know that that's how Mikey died so you know there's that as well so when you have lines like that Mm. yeah this is why I think this episode is if you did watch out of sequence yeah it would make sense but I think the way it kind of shades in things that have happened in the timeline that we know you know it's so impactful is that this is kind of a, a sort of threat she makes and that is how Mikey dies which is horrible you know and that just you tells you so much about the kind of psyche of the characters in the present day yeah and, and speaking of that Nat is we you know we know Nat is pregnant so like the plotting of these episodes the reveal that she's pregnant and going to be a mother and then seeing her relationship with her mother and I'm sure we're going to get another episode before the end of where, where we will feel that impact again yeah I was reminded of that when she said you know when she's telling Kami but not telling Kami but telling Kami that she's pregnant and she's like you know I I actually you know I feel maybe this is going to be good and you know I'm, I'm you know I want this baby to be surrounded by love I just want love and you're just like fuck of course Jesus yeah 
stunning really but yeah I, I, I'd forgotten the uh, actor's name who plays Nat but that kind of very subtle small performance when everything yeah. else around her is so big was really powerful I thought yeah Abby Elliott she's great so Abby Elliott is a as a comedy actress but you know that's what she's known for she's an SNL for quite a long time and, and I just think it's such an amazing nuanced performance where she can be incredibly funny but like there's so much to convey in this character especially in this season because it feels like they're pulling all these sort of disparate threads together it's just amazing it's an incredible performance so I really hope she gets an Emmy nom next year ditto uh let's talk about Tiff and Richie then thought you'd never ask Adam I need a break from talking about the sad stuff oh this was so beautiful wasn't it it was just lovely to see them as a couple yeah it's explained so much about Richie without giving too many spoilers away because I know Grace hasn't watched on but seven and eight I feel like go together really well I feel like they're they're a real kind of Richie arc over two episodes and I think this episode foreshadows so much of what happens in the next couple of episodes it's, it's like really really beautifully done it's gorgeous seeing that relationship and kind of understanding a bit more about what makes Richie Richie I just wrote down like, oh God, Rich is quite happy. And, you know, <laughs> we really haven't ever seen that. And that was both beautiful and obviously quite painful. But I just thought the way that they they clearly cared about each other and comforted each other so much. They felt like really solid as a couple. And obviously they're under pressures and we get a bit more of that. Richie needing a proper job and all that stuff. And that will cause issues with couples but they felt really like hopeful and solid in that moment and I just love like the silly faces and just the line from her about we gotta not be like our parents psycho vampire alcoholic and then he just (laughs) says well I'm actually here that's the start oh it's just beautiful absolutely beautiful yeah but also like we say quite painful because we know that they don't end up together also massive shout out Izzy I don't know if you saw it to Tiff's Taylor Swift t-shirt loved I did see it of course I saw it (laughs) I loved her dream that they only wore green clothes and their baby (laughs) only wore red (laughs) classic anxiety dream (laughs) it's such a classic anxiety dream and it's it's writing that like out of context sounds so silly but then when you watch it in the show it's really beautiful I also loved the kind of build-up to Jimmy giving well offering Richie a job so obviously he asks him for a job he is very much like "Mm, not sure not sure and then he's obviously told Tiff that he's got the job and Tiff kind of lets the slip to Jimmy and that was a real tense moment where you were just like oh god oh god it's all gonna come out he's gonna be like well I've not offered him anything or you know that was really really tense yeah the desperation on Richie's face as he's begging Cicero to back him up but also when in that conversation, he says, like, I don't I don't want to be working at the original beef forever. And, and, you know, we know he ends up doing exactly that. And I also enjoyed the line of Kami is a fucked up little dude. He's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think he says I'm wasting potential to see Richie sort of ambitious and wanting to put himself out there and feel like he has got potential. Obviously, I know there's a real Richie arc coming up, which I'm really looking forward to. And then the Cicero stuff. I feel like Cicero just absolutely loves having power over people. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But yeah, it's also like, what what happened with that? Because obviously, Richie was still working at the Bear, or the mm-hmm. Beef as it was. So, you know, I feel like there's a whole story there as well that's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's either that he 
he did give him a job and he fucked it up so much he had to go back to the mm. restaurant or that it was just a you know he never did give him the job he just said i only said that to avoid a scene at christmas Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm trying to stall us from talking about Mikey, but were there any <laughs> other moments before that? There's a nice moment where um Mikey and Kami are talking to each other and we get this line about tell me three things about Copenhagen. And he says, It's beautiful. I slept on a boat and I fed an invisible cat. Yeah. Coco, spin-off series. Please. Yeah, I loved that little callback. That was great. So here's a question. I don't know if I just sort of slightly missed this, but Kami gives Mikey something. What was it? Because I I was like, did I did I miss it? Like I kind of rewound and was like, did we not see it? I feel like it was drawings for the outside of the bear restaurant. Yes, that's what I assumed as well. There was definitely a picture of a bear and they looked like sort of front elevation drawings, roughly sketched. So that's why I assumed it was because he was saying we could do this. And he's he planned the whole bear restaurant with Mikey. He wanted to do that with Mikey. And Mikey tells him then, let it rip, which is obviously what he then writes in his note. But I thought this was a really beautiful scene just between them. And again, one of those moments where you just sort of slightly relax. Like everything's been so frenetic. And then it's just this moment where they're kind of like, whoo, okay, they're just together, they're away from it all. I love love Carmi looking for the saltines and Mikey being like you're a saltine <laughs> such sibling chat gonna be one of my opening lines for you but yeah I was always <laughs> on my list of possibles as well but yeah that was that was a really really beautiful scene and the other scene I thought was great which we probably should talk about before we get into kind of Mikey proper is Sarah Paulson's character cousin Michelle and that conversation she has with Carmi which I think is a really gorgeous moment of the episode and again it's just one of those moments of boards where it's like come to New York I'll put you up. I know good restaurants. Um, but then they're kind of um, leaning into, you can't be here. This is this is fucked up. This is going to fuck with your head. Mm. And again, that sense that Kami is the one that like, they really think he's the one out of all of them who could, you know, make it out of there. And they're all really trying to make that happen. Mm. You get the sense right at the end of the episode that he's going to take her advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. You know, with good reason. <laughs> Completely. She's like a kind of sane, sane voice in it, right? And she's, I love my family. That like they clearly go every year. They clearly, you know, very fond of the Barazzos. But just she's like, you, you can't be here. This is insane. You need to leave. I think it also explains why he feels so guilty, right? Why he's got this big guilt complex about having left. There's an earlier scene with Michelle where she's talking, I think, to the facts, uh, maybe maybe Richie as well. She's telling the story and there's a conversation about who is the asshole in the story, but it ends up with them talking about bears and bears are kind and sensitive and devoted, altruistic and empathetic and commonly known to be adept at grieving. And then they're also incredibly aggressive. Yeah, that was such a sort of self-aware conversation for the whole series, wasn't it? It was brilliant, I thought. As she said, a moment of kind of calm and self-reflection for us before the chaos picked up again. Really great to kind of almost zoom out a little bit from the Christmas table and look at the series and then zoom back in again. I thought that was really clever. But Bob Odenkirk comes into this scene and asks, asks them what they're talking about when they say bears. And he assumes they're talking about the Chicago bears. And then I was like, of course, it's set in Chicago and they are bears. The fucking Chicago Bears. Why has this not occurred to me before? I just kept thinking, God, just don't poke the bear. Don't poke it. <laughs> oh, are we at the point of talking about poking bears then? 
Oh, yeah. I think we might be. Yeah. God. Do we want to give a quick shout out to Pete's tuna casserole? Big time. It's the oh eighth God, yes. You'd make a, like an asshole. <laughs> and they all get so mad at him one by one, which I love. And I, I kind of really love Pete as a character because you, in series one, you're like, he's, he's just a bit of an idiot. None of them really like him. Like, he's very well-meaning. But they're just like, oh, Pete. He's like that annoying guy. That everyone's like, oh, Pete. But then actually, when you see this family dynamic, it makes total sense as to why Nat has chosen him as a partner. He is like almost to a fault, kind of stable, like the boring side of stable, quite ineffectual and just kind of the opposite of this absolute mayhem family. And you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, of course, of course you would choose someone like that as your partner if this was your family. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the the tuna casserole I just thought was great. And just the escalating, everyone being like, fuck's sake. (laughs) Makes it eight fishes. Yeah. There wasn't one person who was like, you know what, Pete, thank you. We won't have it tonight. We'll have it tomorrow. Like, there's not, yeah. everyone just went, for fuck's sake. You know, everyone had the same reaction, which was just really yeah. um, a lovely light moment in this episode. Including Nat. I loved Nat coming in and just being the one who more than anyone was like, for fuck's sake, I told you not to, and then threw it outside. <laughs> so Mikey then... After the conversation with Kami that we just talked about, we get a scene where Richie sees him going outside. I think we get a shot of someone sparking something up, but he's definitely energised by the time it gets to the dining table. And then there's this conversation with Lee about finishing things. He's telling a story and Lee says, oh, we've heard this story a million times before. Why don't you finish? And he finishes the story for Mikey because Mikey's incapable of finishing things like business plans. Yeah, that was it. And so that was that at the table or was that when they were sat around talking about bears? It's when they were sat around talking about bears to start and then it escalated back at the table. There's clearly like, you know, I really want to know more about this relationship because there's clearly no love lost here, is there? Like they fucking hate each other because as a family, they all razz each other a little bit and shit talk each other. You don't really pick up on it early on. And it's as the episode goes on, you're like, oh, no, this this is different. Like there's active dislike here. Hmm. I think that when they get to the table, everyone's like, Mikey, you know, you, you know, you're at the head of the table kind of thing. You say grace. And then Lee says, is it a grace we've heard a million times before? I was like, God, don't say it again. But you know, that didn't go well. Don't be an asshole. Then, <laughs> but it, they sit at the table and there's this little breath, like you were saying, Izzy, like everyone just takes a breath. The food is on the table. And it's the first bit in the episode where they're actually waiting for each other to stop speaking. It's actually very rare. Then we get, is it a grace we've heard a million times before? And the spark's gone again. And everyone starts talking over each other again. And the fork, Jesus. Oh God, the fork. I mean, just before we get to the fork, it it did make me think of you when when he said, is it a grace we've heard a million times before? But um, do you often get asked to say grace, grace? (laughs) Never. I do a terrible job. Though John Maloney did do an inspiring speech. (laughs) It was brilliant. It was so good, his grace speech. Like, no one's physically sick. So that's good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And just, I'm not gay. I know you always ask. (laughs) But his explanation for the reason why they have the seven fishes is because it takes more time. So we have to spend more time with each other. And I very much look forward to this. It was a really, really, really sweet thing. And then he finishes off by saying, you guys have been so kind to me. And then the amazing line of, uh, so yeah, please, you know, let give us all the strength to enjoy this meal. And please give Michael the strength to not throw that fork. <laughs> Amen. So he's, 
he's he's Lee's tried to tell the same joke again, and this is what starts Mikey with the fork throwing, right? So they, they're talking about the point of the seven fishes. Lee tries to tell, tell the same joke again, and because he's told Mikey off for telling the same joke again, Mikey throws a fork at him, and then the row sort of starts off. And then he's just borrowing forks off people by the side of him. And everyone's trying to talk him down. You know, you see the look on Richie's face. There's a moment where you feel like Nat's going to get to him. She nearly reaches him. And then Stephen does this nervous giggle. What about giggle? Oh, God, um, so good. And then Lee basically accuses him of making it all about him and, and just repeats, you are nothing again that was and again. fucking horrible. Like, really I really want to kind of almost like sit on the edge of my seat and just squirm. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's horrible. And I did wonder, like, how much of that repetition of that phrase, how much of that was happening and how much of it was in Mikey's head. When you're an addict, when you're going through, like, very severe mental health problems, that is the kind of circular thought, right? And I wonder if, if we it really was him screaming it over and over and over again or whether that internally we were kind of more seeing what Mikey was feeling internally or whether it was both. The camera work changed, didn't it? It got very close to Bob Odenkirk's face. And the hatred in his eyes and the repetition, I think you're right, Izzy, I think it was, I think that shift in camera work was, made it quite, uh, yeah, unclear. But it it was relentless, wasn't it? And just a shout out to Fax, very timid, when Mikey asked Fax for his fork, and Fax was like, no, I need that. (laughs) (laughs) But Donna comes in just in time to sort of stop the you are nothings. And then she starts having her meltdown after Grace. And then Nat does what we knew she was going to do at some point in the episode, asks her if she's okay. And everyone groans, like everyone around the table knows what this is going to cause. Do I not look okay? Fuck you, Natalie. Mm. Am I okay? Are you motherfuckers okay? It was just, oh, yeah. And then she smashes the plate on the floor, which I felt... I was hoping would be the like tension release and we wouldn't get the fork, that that was the alternative. But then I remembered I was watching the bear. And of course it was going to escalate. And of course it was going to escalate past the fork. The fork was very, really small fry at this stage. Yeah. Lee speaks up. He says, we all knew it would happen. Now we can relax. And that's the last straw for Mikey, who then throws the the third fork. It all kicks off. And then just this pure, utter comedy of Donna driving the car into the house. I mean, to be fair, I did not see that coming. It no. was so brilliant. I, when she walks out of the room, I was trying to work out, because I heard a door slam, because I was worried that then we were going to get the gunshot. Like, honestly, this gun was hanging over me, guys, like half an hour. But I was worried she was going to go, and then we'd hear it. But then I heard the front door slam. So I was like, okay, all right, she's gone outside? Like, what is her plan here? Uh, but like you, absolutely did not expect the car to come in. And Mikey flips the table. The food's, I mean, the food's done. No one has a bite of that food. <laughs> I don't think she did it on purpose. I think she thought she was going in reverse. Do you think so? I yeah, don't she, know. I, th- I, she's I don't hammered. know. She's pissed. I think she's, she thinks she's driving. I can't, the car comes in forwards, doesn't it? I think she thinks she's reversing out the drive. And she goes straight forwards instead of going straight backwards. A neighbour of mine, when I was living with my mum, did this once. They they thought they had the car in forward and it was in reverse or the other way round. And they just went speeding into the another neighbour's house. Uh, I mean, it didn't go through the wall, but they literally knocked, knocked through the sort of front porch post. 
and had you know whiplash and stuff so it is something that happens and and she was she was very very drunk she was very drunk I mean she came in at quite a speed which made me think she probably wouldn't be able to you're right she probably wouldn't be able to maneuver the car into a position to have a run up at it and it wasn't a lot of time that passed but she sort of sat in the front seat in a complete daze like giggling to herself and Mikey repeating over it what have you done what have you done again my my neighbor said when they realized they were going in the wrong direction they just panicked and put their foot down so she did really speed and you know she wasn't drunk it's just an accident oh god what a crescendo you just you keep thinking it can't get any more stressful and then that is just like it's mad and I obviously we we want to keep spoiler free for those watching ahead but this is referenced in a later episode really cleverly yeah amazing I can't wait then it was like what have you done what have you done Ma like Mikey slamming on the sort of window and then you just get Nat's face and you get Kami's face and that's it and it's such a lovely you know you just felt for both of them right so deeply Mm -hmm. it deepened our feelings for those two of the central characters we're gonna spend the rest of the series with ultimately this this episode was really even though it kind of sits out of time and out of place I think what a lot of this series is exploring is generational trauma and the kind of anxieties that we carry that are passed down to us that we sort of have to work through to move on. And what a way to show it by literally just putting the whole family in this pressure cooker and being like, this this is why these people are the way that they are. You kind of then dip back into the series like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, we didn't know we needed the best Christmas special until we did. (laughs) We sure did. What I love about the show is it picks out themes and ideas in such a clever way. And it's always done that so brilliantly. And I think what a way to, when you're exploring this really big theme of trauma and how it's passed down, to literally just be like, right, out of the action for a sec, we're going to just go in a whole different direction for an hour. And then we're going to put you back in where you were. Mm. It's It's such a smart, formal choice. And it works so well. Really brilliant stuff. I think the, the benefits of us having done this one as a single one means we're probably going to have two more Bear Specials as we've got four more episodes to cover. We may have a little break now because I know uh, Grace and Izzy are both away. We'll, we will wrap up the Bear, but it might be a little wait before those episodes come out. If you have enjoyed this, let us know on the social media at TVDNAPod or email tvdnapod at gmail.com. Don't forget to catch our watch list episodes. Again, next week's one's going to be slightly delayed, but that will be coming to you and we will be talking about Dreaming Whilst Black. Final favourite lines. Mine's are from, well, mine's are just a, a couple of lines from the um, Claire Bear chat that I just absolutely love from Richie. The glasses came off. She's hot now. She's a legitimate fucking wizard. She's obsessed with science. This is a once in a million opportunity to score with a woman who is stacked mentally and physically. <laughs> and to contrast with that, the upside of Bath is that you get peace and quiet. <laughs> and, uh, I think mine might have the whole episode, which is just, cousin, you're scaring the normals. <laughs> <laughs> my brain has been massively overstimulated, so I'm going to do my absolute best to string sentences together. So, yeah, it was... I, I think the way that it's... Yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, just to see that he wanted that. This, the, I think that was, um, so I think it was, it was just a, 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 a